In the name of Jesus, amen. Some of you might know the uh, country singer, folk country, I guess, uh, Jason Isbell. He's played with some different bands. He has a a song called uh, If We Were Vampires. And uh, part of it goes like this. It says, if we were vampires and death was a joke, we'd go out on the sidewalk and smoke and laugh at all the lovers and their plans. I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand. Maybe time running out is a gift. I'll work hard till the end of my shift and give you every second I can and hope it isn't me who's left behind. And then there's this gut punch of a refrain. It's knowing that this can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. But one day I'll be gone. Or one day you'll be gone. Kind of see the, the, the idea there. The idea is that knowing that each of us comes with an expiration date, that the, the buzzer will ring for all of us, that the, the clock will strike midnight, that at least part of what makes life living is just, just that fact, that, that each of us will only have so many moments is what makes each moment count. So that if you were a vampire, for example, uh, you'd just kind of wander around and watch people. Um, you wouldn't feel the need to, uh, uh, to hold your, your, your partner's hand, but it's knowing that that can't go on forever. And look at someone, maybe someone here, whom you love, and you know it's almost certain that uh, one of you will spend time without, without the other. In some odd way, at least the song says, the fact that we die is what makes life so precious. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> Maybe. You might wonder about that, especially on a day in which... Uh, you're marked with an ashy symbol of your, your expiration date. wonder if somehow, even death, what St. Paul and the Holy Spirit call the, the great enemy, the last enemy to be overcome, is somehow even that might be repositioned somehow, woven into a story where it would play a different role, almost a positive role, makes life worth living. There's a lot of that kind of thing going on in the Bible, after all, that all these evil events and characters somehow get woven into stories where they end up playing a different role. You, you know this, in the last, it just happens in the last several Sundays, I brought up the story of Joseph um, from Genesis several, several, or a couple times anyway, and I won't, won't rehash it all, all here um, you remember the basic plot of how Jacob's or Joseph's arrogance, his father Jacob's favoritism, his brother's jealousies, uh, a, a wife's lust, and countless other evils somehow get woven in to a story, the climax uh, of which is uh, saving not only Joseph's family, but saving of a huge swath of the, of the world from, from famine. There's a line in this story, I don't think I mentioned, maybe I did before, a line in this story which which sticks with me, where Joseph is reconciling with his brothers, 
And he says, you sold me into slavery, but God sent me for life. You sold me, but God sent me. And the, the, the amazing and wonderful and mysterious thing about that is that they are the exact same thing. The selling and the sending. The exact same event. And, and it's not as if God pulled some strings and was just waiting for some evil to happen or caused evil so he could do that. We get into some really troubled waters if we start thinking that way, that somehow God needs our evils in order to accomplish his goods. But somehow... You sold, God sent. It might work something like this. I don't. This, this is what I, I was thinking of. I saw a puzzle once, a jigsaw puzzle. It'd be a very difficult, jig, big jigsaw puzzle um, because it comes with one set of pieces, but it can be put together in two different ways. <laughs> you know, usually in a puzzle, there's one picture, and you put it. This puzzle comes with two pictures, and you can put the same exact pieces, same colors, and together, together in two different ways to make. Two different pictures. Maybe that explains a little bit of what you sold, God sent means. Or more generally, how uh, our God in his gracious providence is able to take whatever evil is simply dealt, whatever pieces simply are, and assemble them into a picture that ends in life instead of death. I mentioned that Joseph story, and that is a really great example of God doing that sort of thing, but at the very best, it's the second best example. Because the best example is the story which that one foreshadows, the one that we tell over and over and over again, especially in this season of Lent, the most crucial story of all of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. This year we'll be reading it especially from Luke's Gospel. We started it today, this Wednesday, the next five Wednesdays. We'll creep our way through the next couple of chapters in, in Luke's telling of that story. And there is so much evil in it. It's an absolutely horrific story that highlights the worst things that people can possibly do to one another. Even just those first 13 verses from Luke 22 today, we have death, we have fear, we have Satan, we have betrayal. Five times we mention the Passover, and it's probably not without a cause that we mention the Passover, because the Passover is another one of these stories where there's horrendous evil, a horrendously evil, hard-hearted Pharaoh who drives these these poor Israelites to slavery, who becomes a slave pursuer and a slave hunter. But get this, that slave pursuing and slave hunting is the very thing that propels God's people into the promised land. Pharaoh hunted. God propelled. We'll hear more about those evil details in the next, the next weeks as we make our way through the story. We'll read the whole thing again on, on Palm or, or Passion Sunday. But for now, just, just one other detail from that first bit, those first 13 verses. In addition to the five-fold mention of Passover, this story of horrible evil, God rearranging, reweaving, re-jigsawing to tell another story. Another thing is, is mentioned five times. Five times we're told that everything is ready that everything's prepared. Prepare the Passover. Where shall we prepare? A large upper room 
prepared, prepare there, and they prepared the Passover over and over and over again, prepared, ready. And when, when we hear that story, you might hear this bit about Jesus tells the disciples, go and you'll find this man carrying the water in an upper room. And you might, you might hear that as some sort of uh, Jesus using his divine predictive powers to, to say, oh, this all was going to happen. That might be the case. But Luke doesn't tell us that specifically. It could be something much more ordinary. As is Jesus today, we're going to plan this. He'd go to uh, Airbnb.com, find an upper room available. Uh, tell the guy with the water who carries water um, to be on the lookout for these two Galileans coming by and, and show them the upper room. Just all ordinary, ordinary preparations like that. And I kind of actually like that instead of the, the divine predictive prerogative, which again, Luke doesn't tell us is happening. Because it fits with so much else of what we know of Jesus. That of all things, Jesus is absolutely prepared. He is absolutely ready. Whatever could possibly come, whatever could possibly come at him, whatever could possibly come from his disciples or anyone else, whatever you could possibly throw at him, Jesus is prepared for it. Whenever it comes, he's ready for it. Whatever evil. A year or so ago, uh, well, she's not really my friend. She's the, at best, a friend of an acquaintance, someone I kind of know. She's a writer. And she wrote an essay, just a thousand words or so. Um, it's called uh, God Was Not Surprised. And she wrote it in the aftermath of the, uh, she's younger than me, the tragic death of her parents. Both her parents um, were killed in a car accident. And she wrote it in the aftermath of this kind of pond, just in the couple weeks after. And she starts off kind of the beginning of, of the, the essay about how, at least at that point in her grief, it's just impossible for her to wrap her heart or her head around language like um, that this was God's will. You know, God, somehow, you know, the people would say this is, you know, God's will. And, the, and, 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 and I don't know why, but somehow it's God's will. And she says, when people say that, if you've gone through tragedy like that and people have said like that, she said it makes her want either to, um, to throw up or punch somebody. <laughs> Or maybe both. Throw up on them and then punch them when they say something, something like that. So she couldn't quite bring herself. You have to say it's somehow God's will. What she settled on was the title of that article. That when death came to her parents in such a tragic way, whatever else it was, God was not surprised. And that gave her comfort. Whatever it was, God was ready. He's prepared. You sold, God sent, Pharaoh hated, God rescued. Men lied, betrayed, murdered, crucified. Jesus saved the world. You can call it a, a retelling of the story, repositioning of characters in a different plot, a re-jigsawing, a reweaving, whatever you want to call it, this great mystery. Whatever we might call it, this evil, we can say of it, whatever it is, God is prepared. Jesus is prepared. He's not, not surprised. As we enter into this uh, season of Lent, it is the time of the year in which more than any others, not the only time, but more than any others, when we recognize the reality of evil, darkness, whatever you want to call it. We'll be going through this passion story, like I said, it's just chock full of horrible stuff. And we do that to remind us of ourselves. 
that remind us of our, of our own darkness, our own sins. We have a gospel lesson coming up, the prodigal son, and there's a great line in the, in the story of the parable of the prodigal son when it says the son, as he's sitting in, uh, in, 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 in pig slop and, and dung, it says, and he came to himself. <laughs> How dark is my heart, he realizes, and we'll realize that. And we'll realize all the darkness around us to boot. But whatever it is, Jesus is ready for it. Whatever darkness we might throw at him, whatever sin we might throw at him, Jesus is prepared for it. You have a sign on your head that says you are going to die. There's a sign on the head of the person next to you that says they are going to die too. The story told in that song, the Jason Isbell song, maybe we'll get 40 years together, but one day I'll be gone, one day you'll be gone, is a song you could sing to one another. And as horrible as that is, know this. Jesus is ready for it. He's ready for you to die. And even more, in perhaps the greatest reweaving, retelling, rejigsawing of all, to take that greatest evil, the source of so much sadness, the last enemy, to reweave even that character, the great enemy death, into another story where it becomes the gate to life eternal. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.